Welcome to Mountain State Cardboard, a podcast about sports, sports cards, and life from the Mountain State of West Virginia. If you're looking for guaranteed hot picks and lead pipe lock advice on the next big thing in sports cards, just turn around now. This isn't the show for you. This is a fun conversation about the hobby we all love. Welcome to another episode of Mountain State Cardboard. I'm Tim. This is my podcast about sports, sports cards, and life, and a very good week to you guys. So coming to you on a Tuesday rather than the ordinary Monday, I, like a lot of other people, took the uh, Labor Day holiday off. Had a nice long weekend, although, I mean, in this world of quarantine, what do holiday weekends even mean anymore? I'm not 100% sure, uh, but uh, I took the long weekend and did not record a new show yesterday, but uh, here I am on Tuesday uh, recording and will be uploading uh, later today, and I want to say thanks again for listening. And uh, listenership continues to grow. Uh, I check the uh, the Anchor dashboard every week, and it's just amazing that new people are coming in every week. I love it. Uh, I've, I'm enjoying the feedback on social media, um, even have gotten a few emails uh, through the Anchor website. So uh, thank you guys so much for the support. I, I greatly appreciate it. Big week for me. Uh, a lot of things going on in my regular uh, day job, my work life, uh, which is exciting. It's the first time that things have uh, really started to ramp up for me since March. So that's exciting. And uh, it's been an exciting week in the hobby for me. Um, I said I sort of referenced in passing last week that I had my uh, sales platform finally ready to to roll out. Uh, I've been sort of building uh, an inventory and and getting an eBay store set up and uh, finally launched that last week, uh, you know, very subtly, and uh, I made my first sales yesterday. Uh, sold three cards, um, all from the um, uh, Illusions uh, series, the Panini Illusions. I've, I talked about uh, busting packs uh, last weekend. I, I found a, a big bunch of retail and, and busted it and threw some of those cards up as a part of what I, I put in my eBay store, and I sold three cards this week. So uh, for me, I mean, I know that's small potatoes to a lot of folks, but for me, just getting started and, and dipping my toe into the sales water, I'm, I'm pretty excited. So uh, later today, I'll be uh, patch, packaging those up and, uh, and shipping those out. And the good news for anybody that's buying from me is that I've bought so many cards over the years, I know exactly what I like and don't like and what works and doesn't work in the shipping uh, side of things. Uh, there will be no scotch tape involved in my shipping. Uh, there will only be blue painter's tape. Uh, cards will be thoroughly protected uh, by uh, uh, cardboard slabs on uh, either side, inside of a top loader. Um, I'm, I'm going to do it right, and uh, I'm without question not going to use scotch tape. Anybody that uh, uses scotch tape should get kicked out of the hobby forever, as far as I'm concerned. Um Really appreciate, guys, the uh, the feedback from last week's show and and last week's show. And we're not going to revisit all of that, but I I got really serious with the with the show and and talked about some uh, some issues in America regarding race and tied that back to the hobby by talking about some of the uh, some of the men who integrated uh, baseball teams uh, back in the '40s and '50s. Um, but you know that was for me. Um, you know that that was a, a bit of a leap of faith because uh, it wasn't this fun hobby conversation that I like to have. Uh, but that's what was on my mind, and and that what that's what 
I felt I I needed to talk about. So that's what I talked about because at the end of the day, I have to be authentic. I as a person have to be authentic. I can't get on here and be phony. And if that is what's on my mind and and that's what's going on in the American landscape, I feel like it needs to be talked about um, because I strive to be an authentic person. Um, and authenticity is something I talk about a lot in my personal life, in my professional life, because, of, because a big part of what I do um, for, for work is branding. Um, you know, sales and marketing and branding is a part of that. And, you know, you'll hear people talk about branding. Branding is not a logo. Like, branding is not, you know, a rebrand is not Burger King updating their logo, right? Branding is, is much more than that. A brand is who you are. And I have a, we all have a personal brand and I try to live my brand every day. And my brand is authenticity. And so that's why last week's show was what it was, because that's me being authentic with myself and with you guys and with the world. And I have to speak what's on my mind and what I believe in. Um, And that's part of the problem generally with some of the content creators that are out there is that they're not genuine. And I've talked about it and a lot of other folks have have talked about it. Um, There are a lot of content creators out there that are phony. Um, And trust me when I tell you, for anyone that thinks critically, that comes through. Um, And I don't know why you would take advice or listen to somebody who isn't authentic. And I'm not on here dealing out a lot of advice. I'm more talking about my own collecting and my own, my own journey through the hobby. And hopefully other people can relate to that and relate it to their own journey. And maybe, you know, I'll be, I'll be frank. I'm, I'm having a bit of a, I don't want to say crisis, but I'm kind of in this place where I'm trying to figure out where I want to go with my collecting and, and, and with my, my personal, uh, what I do in the hobby. I'm, I'm at a, I don't, even know that it's fair to say I'm at a crossroads, but I'm just kind of at this point where I'm trying to, fi- I, I, I'm trying to figure out where I want to go with this. And when we get to content uh, shout outs um, in a few minutes, um, really, really, really great episode of stacking slabs uh, of the hobby hustle last Friday with Chris from house of Jordans. And Chris is a guy that I love to listen to talk about the hobby because he is so passionate and he is so knowledgeable and Chris said some things that have impacted me this week and have kind of made me think about where I want to go with my collecting. And I'm, I'm sort of making some decisions and, and making some turns and, and everything that I've been listening to and consuming either visually or, or through audio or reading are kind of leading me to this place where I'm, I'm figuring out, you know, I'm, I'm 46 years old and I want to figure out, okay, what is it that I want to do? in this next stage of my life from a collecting standpoint. You know, I talked in the first episode of the show way back several weeks ago about I started collecting baseball cards in 1980. And, you know, I have a lot of love for that 1980 Topps baseball set because that was my introduction to card collecting. And it's it's all been a journey. And it's all been leading down this road to where I am today. And now I, I want to figure out where is it that I want to go. And I, I think that I'm getting there. And and that's probably going to be something I talk about a lot more in depth, probably next week, because I'm, I'm, I'm lining it out and I'm the type of person that has to put things on paper. And, uh, 
you know, put a, I, I need a visual representation of what it is that I want to be doing. Um, you know, I write a lot of strategic plans um, for my work. So I'm, I'm kind of in this process of creating a strategic plan for my card collecting. But that's how I, that's, that's what I need because I need to stay on course because I get distracted, folks, by shiny objects. And there's a lot of that. You see that in my collection and you see that in the boxes and boxes of cards stacked in my hobby room that I'm sure all of us have, right? Like you get distracted by shiny things and you start down this path and then you back up and you say, hold on, wait a minute. I don't want to do that. Uh, this isn't really who I am. So I'm kind of right, kind of in the process now of beginning a strategic plan of my card collecting, which I know to some of you might sound painful, but for me, that's necessary, but it's also enjoyable for me. I actually like writing strategic plans and, and I feel like if you have one and you follow it, you, you're better for it. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of working, uh, working through that. Um, Talking about the week in sports, um, really, uh, I was almost 100% consumed by the NBA. I didn't watch a ton of baseball this week, um, just a little bit in passing, enough to know that this is one of the worst Pittsburgh Pirates teams I've ever seen, and that's saying something. Uh, there are a couple of guys on this squad that I really, really like. I'm a big Josh Bell fan. Uh, they called up my boy Key Brian Hayes, uh, who I got to see play in person, um, which unfortunately that may be a thing of the past. I'll talk more about that momentarily, but a uh, big key Brian Hayes fan. I don't know that he's ever going to be a superstar, but he's a fun kid to watch play baseball and he's a good hitter and he's come up and he's hit already. So, um, you know, uh, excited about key Brian Hayes coming up. Like I said, like Josh Bell, um, there's not a ton to like about this current ro Pittsburgh Pirates roster construction. And, and I don't know what the future is for that squad is, but it's a bad baseball team. I, I spent a lot of time, like I said, this week watching the NBA, great, great playoff basketball. Um, you know, last night the Celtics finally said, Nope, we're done. Like this, we're not playing around with Toronto anymore. 22 point victory. Uh, great game between the Clippers and the Nuggets last night. Um, one of the, one of my big takeaways though, in the last week is that I am becoming a big Donovan Mitchell fan. Um, you know, Utah eliminated, they were up three, one, they lose the series to Denver. Um, that's a good Denver team. Uh, but I really have, have been impressed with the way Donovan Mitchell has responded to this loss. And you look at it and you say, this guy's got something in the tank and, and, and I I'm watching the way he's responded to this loss. And I think this may be that we'll all look back on the 2020 playoffs I think, and say, this is when Donovan Mitchell took the next step because he's got the lot. He's wearing this loss very heavily. He's wearing this season loss very heavily, series loss rather, very heavily. And I think he's going to be a better player for it. I think they need to get him some help. I think they need to, to and, and I know there were some missing pieces um, in the playoffs, but I really, really like the way he's responded. And I think a couple of more pieces in that Utah team, the West is stacked and the West, it's going to be hard to come out of the West um, for the next several years. But I really like the way Donovan Mitchell has responded. And I'm, I'm now looking at him too, from a collecting standpoint and saying, I want to start collecting some Donovan Mitchell because I like the way he plays basketball and I like the way he carries himself. 
So that's been uh, interesting. The other thing I kind of wanted to sound sound off on in the NBA is the ridiculous statement that Richard Jefferson made about Giannis. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in this this Bucks heat series. I mean, I think the Heat are going to win it. The Heat are the better basketball team right now. But Richard Jefferson said that, you know, Giannis is a Pippen. He's no Jordan, basically. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to – I don't have it pulled up here. It's not a direct quote. But, you know, basically – called Giannis a, first of all there's no shame in being a Scottie Pippen Scottie Pippen is a hall of famer right but I think the critic it was said as a way to criticize Giannis who by the way is about to be a back-to-back MVP I think the criticism from Richard Jefferson who you know Richard Jefferson's just a guy right Richard Jefferson I don't know where he thinks that he gets the cred to make these kind of statements but you know talking heads got to talk, right? Um, I I think it's an unfair criticism of Giannis to try to, first of all, start already comparing him to Jordan and LeBron, uh, but, you know, calling him a Pippen and not a Jordan and and that he's not a superstar. Uh, A guy who's about to pick up his second MVP award in a row, if if my prediction is correct. Uh, But the other problem with what, Richard Jefferson said about Giannis and not being a Pippin or not being a Jordan, being a Pippin is that he's not looking at the context of everyone's career arc. Here's a guy in Giannis who was drafted in 2013, won an MVP award in 2019, didn't even start playing basketball, by the way, until 2007, started playing late as a youth in Greece, didn't start playing in 2000 until 2007, was drafted into the NBA in 2013 and won an MVP award in 2019. By comparison, LeBron, drafted in 2003, won his first MVP, guess what? Six years later, 2009. He didn't even make the finals, the NBA finals, until 2011 with Miami. And prior to that, he had some really significant, like, big stage failures in the playoffs in Cleveland. And now in 2020, we're talking about LeBron in that rarefied Michael Jordan air. Like the question becomes who was the best of all time, Jordan or LeBron. And nobody's talking about those early career playoff failures in Cleveland. We're looking at the big picture and that's what, that's what Richard Jefferson's not doing. Michael Jordan drafted in 1984 won his first MVP award four years later in 1988. He didn't make the finals, the NBA finals, until 1991. And we all know, and we all watched The Last Dance, but those of us that lived through it, we all remember those playoff failures against my Detroit Pistons. So yeah, LeBron, or Giannis rather, has stubbed his toe in the playoffs the last couple of years, and he's not played well, and he's not played up to expectation. And I think everybody looks at the MVP awards and they want him to be the next LeBron. They want him to be this special player, who, which he is. But they're piling on with the criticism and they're not looking back at these failures. And it's just like what I was talking about with Donovan Mitchell. These playoff failures early in a player's career, that's what builds them toward future superstardom, I think, because that's the motivation. These guys need that motivation. You don't think Giannis is motivated? Please. 
So Richard Jefferson is way off base in criticizing Giannis over these early career playoff losses on a, a Bucks team, frankly, that, you know, it's Giannis and a bunch of guys. Chris Middleton had a really nice game yesterday uh, or two days ago, but it's it's Giannis and a bunch of dudes, right? There is There is no one there that is a consistent presence to help take the heat off of Giannis. And, you know, it's the Jordan Pippen thing. To Richard Jefferson's point, Jordan needs a Pippen. LeBron needs a D. Wade or a or a, a, a AD or a Kyrie. You know there has to you have to have that second guy if you're going to be a a championship contending team in the NBA. We all know this. I mean, look at Boston, and Boston's got Tatum. They've got Jalen Brown, and I would also throw uh, Kemba Walker uh, into that mix. I mean, they've got three guys. You know, it's Jordan didn't win until Pippen came along. Pippen made Jordan a better player. Giannis, the Milwaukee, if they want to keep Giannis, they need to find a guy that can help. But that that criticism is is completely unfair by Richard Jefferson, and it also leaves out a lot of historical context with what Michael Jordan and LeBron James did early in their career in the playoffs, or rather, didn't do. Anyway, okay. So I was in talking about the Pirates, and I I said I, I'm a key Brian Hayes fan, and and uh, I got to see, and part of the reason I'm a fan is because I got to see him play in person in my hometown when he was in the minor leagues, and I may not get that chance in the future. For those that have not been paying attention, Major League Baseball is about to obliterate minor league baseball as we know it, and this is further evidence as to why I'm not a fan of Rob Manfred. I'm not a fan of the way he operates Major League Baseball, and I'm not a fan of the owners that are running Major League Baseball right now. They are about to destroy Minor League Baseball. Minor League Baseball's offices are shuttering. It's all moving under the Major League Baseball umbrella. They're going to eliminate 40-plus teams from the minor league system and drastically reorganize the minor leagues as we know them. And I have a personal vested interest in this because my hometown team is one of the teams on the chopping block to be eliminated under the new reorganization plan. And this plan was in the works before COVID, and I'm intimately familiar with it because I shared office, like I was across the hall from the offices of our minor league baseball team in the building I used to occupy. Our team was on the chopping block prior to COVID. All COVID, all the quarantine and and the shutdown has done is eliminate any possibility that there was going to be a a, a pushback of this plan Um, because the shutdown and not having baseball this year has just made all of this much easier for Major League Baseball to to push through. Um, And it's a shame. Now, there are two sides to the argument, and and yes, if, from a strict business standpoint, what Major League Baseball is is proposing makes a lot of sense. Um, in just the very in the in the vacuum of business operations, yes, I understand what they're doing, but they are leaving out a lot of historical context. They are they are leaving out. Uh, a lot of cultural 
influence that minor league base like they're not looking at the culture and history of minor league baseball they're just looking at it as numbers on a balance sheet and i will also say this they are eliminating of the 40 teams that they are eliminating a large swath of them are in appalachia and the appalachian region of america is an at-risk region it is a it is a it is a region of the united states where uh, economics are not good, and now you're going to eliminate 40 baseball teams that employ dozens and dozens of people, so you're going to eliminate all of these minor league baseball jobs, but you're also eliminating affordable access to baseball for families and children in an impoverished section of the country. And I know, like, if, you, if you've been consistently listening to my podcast, you probably have picked up on the fact that I am a bit of a bleeding heart. Yes, I am. But it's a real thing that families can afford to go to a minor league baseball game. They cannot afford to go to a major league baseball game. First of all, from, from a geography standpoint, it becomes more difficult for them to get to games. And... Second of all, it's expensive to take a family to a Major League Baseball game. It's really cheap and really fun to take your family to a Minor League Baseball game. The tickets are cheap. The concessions are cheap. The interaction with the fans is on a whole different level at the minor, at, in Minor League Baseball. I mean, there's a real possibility that your kid's going to get pulled down on the field to play a game. Or the mascot's going to come into the stands and have a personal interaction with your kids and with your family. That's not happening at a Major League Baseball game. So you're taking away in 40 cities across America that opportunity, that access to professional baseball for families and children, and I'm not a fan. I think it's wrong. I think it's it's short-sighted, but it's going to happen because the guys that run Major League Baseball only care about one thing, and that is money. It's not baseball. They don't care about baseball. They care about money. And that does not translate to the fans. And I would argue that it doesn't always translate to the players either. But it doesn't translate to the fans. They make more money. Prices continue to go up. They've, they're eliminating affordable access to professional baseball for, for people in a large swath of the country. And they don't care. So when you're out there rooting for your favorite baseball team, and I'm going to continue to do it, and I, the, the Pittsburgh Pirates ownership is clueless. But remember, when you're rooting for your favorite team, Half of them probably care more about the real estate where the stadium is and around the stadium than they do about the team itself, but they all only care about the bottom line. Look what the Red Sox have done in dismantling that team and getting below the luxury tax and boasting about that. Pay attention to the things that your team does when they don't think you're watching, and you'll see. So I'm really, really salty about the minor league baseball thing. And yes, part of it is selfish. Like it's personal for me, but also I step back and look at the big picture and say, this is a bad decision for the future of baseball in America because you are alienating a lot of people. Something else we may talk more about in, in the future as this continues to uh, develop, but uh, September 30th is when the current agreement between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball runs out, and that's when you're going to see um, more stories about this. Not, I don't think enough people have taken notice or are talking about this, frankly. 
Um, but it's, it's problematic. And I love baseball. And baseball's a big part of my sports card collecting, and that's kind of the main crux of, to, of this week's show, is talking about baseball. And we've not seen the baseball market grow uh, in the exponential ways that the basketball market has, and I think the way that football is going to explode in a couple of weeks. Um, actually, in the next few days, I would imagine a huge spike in the football market. But baseball is different. And baseball is different from a hobby standpoint, because baseball is different just overall than the, the other two major sports. Um, when you watch basketball and you see a guy get drafted, there's a really good chance that he's going to play significant minutes the year that he's drafted and is going to get a lot of time on national television and sports writers and pundits and podcast hosts and YouTubers are going to talk about that guy. Baseball is very different. Prospecting in baseball is different, and I think that translates into a big reason as to why baseball is different in the hobby. You know, rookies and prospects drive are investing in the hobby. You know, all you have to do is look at the last two years. Luca and Trey, Zion and Jaw. One, I, I mentioned earlier that I, I sold my first uh, cards this week ever on eBay uh, after setting up a, a store, and I sold a couple of Tyler Harrow cards. So prospects and rookies drive are investing in the hobby, and prospects and rookies are handled and developed very differently in baseball. Um Baseball takes a lot more research and a lot more patience. Um, and I was watching on YouTube, and I didn't do content shout-outs, and, and that's fine. I'll, I'll probably just sort of pick them up throughout the, throughout the episode today. Um, recent episode of Sports Card Analytics with Jordan on YouTube. Um, a must-watch, folks. You've got to subscribe. You've got to watch Jordan on Sports Card Analytics. He identified an he identified opportunity in baseball, you know. Basically, the point, and I'm I'm going to really boil this down. You know, basketball is kind of peaked. Football is on the rise. Everybody's talking basketball and football, but he's it's his opinion that there's opportunity in baseball, and I think he's right. But you have to approach it differently. You have to do more research, and you have to have patience. I read a lot about minor league baseball and baseball prospects. So I know these guys, like I have known about Luis Robert well before he made hobby impact. Um, so if you really are interested in baseball as an investing opportunity, you got to do some research, go to the major league baseball website and they list the top 100 prospects in minor league baseball every year and read baseball prospectus and, and listen to fan graphs and, and find podcasts and uh, YouTube shows and read websites that are dedicated to, to prospects because you'll be better off for it. Um, it's also much more difficult for young players, rookies, second year guys to have the kind of impact on their team as compared to basketball. You know, the Pelicans were a very different team when Zion was on the floor. The, the Grizzlies were a very different 
team when Job was on the floor. It's different in baseball, and I think that makes the hobby different. Like, even the very best player in baseball, Mike Trout, the Angels are not that good right now. It's harder for Mike Trout, who is phenomenally talented, to have an impact on his overall team in the way that one player can have an impact on an NBA team. And it's also a little bit different in, in the NFL. I'm not going to, you know, carve that up too much. But uh, so I think that that one player and the difficulty in him having the impact on a team makes it different in investing in a player in baseball, if that makes sense. Like we all know Mike Trout is potentially the, the, the best baseball player of all time just from a statistical standpoint. I mean, the, the guy just hit his 300th home run, and he's, what, 28 years old? Um, although I, I did find it interesting this week when Mike Trout hit his 300th home run and he set the Angels franchise record uh, beating out Tim Salmon. And that was the first time I'd thought about Tim Salmon in a very long time, and that was kind of fun, actually. Uh, Tim Salmon falls into that category of, uh, and, and I talked a couple of weeks ago about why I have a hard time getting into prospects, getting into hype guys rather in baseball, uh, because baseball history is littered with guys that broke out and then never did anything. Um, Tim Salmon broke out. Everybody thought he was going to be a hall of famer. Um, and he had a nice career, but it never really panned out the way a lot of people thought that it would. Um, so I just thought that was, it was an interesting recall of, of Tib Salmon. Um, so we all like, we all recognize the greatness of Mike Trout, but, and it's probably a poor example because his, his cards do hold value, but, um, it's, it's just, it's a different perception than basketball. So the hobby then becomes different. Um, so you, you really have to educate yourself. You, you really need to know who the hot guys, who the, who the big breakout rookie potential guys are before their cards drop. And, I mean, frankly, you really should just be buying first-year Bowmans and putting them in a box and sitting on them. And that was, what was, that, that was a little bit of the absurdity to me with the Jason Dominguez thing this year with the, with the Bowmans is, you know, we don't know anything about, J stick to Jason, to, like flip them. If you, if the, if, if the money's out there and people are willing to pay for it, by all means, take advantage of it, sell them, but stick a couple in a box and wait a couple of years and see what happens with Jason Dominguez. I have two big boxes full of first Bowman's and tops series two and, and update rookies that's, that go back three to four years and you just got to revisit that box every once in a while. Um, you know, one of the breakout guys this year was Anthony Santander with the, the Baltimore Orioles. I've got a stack of Anthony Santander's because I just, I, I bought them, I opened them, I sleeved them, and I stuck them in a box because I knew, well, I didn't know. I didn't know anything about Santander, and I don't know that, that this is sustainable. Uh, he's hurt now and out, I think, for the rest of the year, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. But the point of that story is, at the time that his rookie card, his tops rookie card dropped, he was he was just a guy with some potential. And so you stick it in a box and you wait to see if he fulfills the potential. And if he fulfills the potential, then you've got the cards. And if he doesn't, you know, you've got a bunch of sleeved base rookie cards that have no value that you can either 
give away or sell cheaply or whatever. But that's why I said baseball takes patience. You've got to hold on to these cards for a couple of years to see what happens with a guy. Um, just because a guy breaks out and his cards are valuable at the time they come out does not mean he's going to have sustained success. And the converse is true. Just because a guy's rookie card drops and he's not doing anything doesn't mean that he won't someday become an all-star caliber player. So you have to have patience when you are investing in baseball. And to me, that's what makes baseball fun because it really is more of an investment. It's not as, I don't think, I don't think baseball is as um, conducive to flipping as basketball and probably football. And we're all going to learn a lot about football cards in the next couple of weeks. Um, so that just, just some thoughts that were kicking around in my head. And it was spawned in part by watching that episode of uh, sports card analytics with Jordan. The other thing that I've been thinking a lot about, and this goes back to something that Brett said on stacking slabs last week, and that is what are you putting your money into? And that's been heavily on my mind this week as I'm working toward writing this strategic plan for myself of, of how I want to go about my collecting. What are you putting your money into? Are you putting it into unproven prospects? Are you putting it into stars? Are you putting it into Hall of Famers? I did an interesting exercise this week, and I'm going to share the results. And I don't have any conclusive uh, thoughts necessarily, but I'm, I'm, this is all part of my journey, and I want to share my journey with you guys. So I did an interesting exercise this week when it comes to what I'm putting my money into and what we're all putting our money into. And I looked at the three major sports, football, basketball, baseball, and I said, okay, who's a hype guy? You know, the, the first or second year guy that's getting a lot of hype and his card prices are going up or are, are up and I don't know necessarily that it's sustainable. So who's a hype guy? Who's a guy on the come up? A guy who's having a nice early part of his career, but it's way too early to tell if he's on that sort of Hall of Fame trajectory. And then who's a guy who's at the tail end of what is without question, a Hall of Fame career. And then who's a Hall of Famer that is sort of a recent Hall of Fame induction, although I deviate from that in baseball a little bit. Baseball was, was kind of hard, and I'll, I'll break that down last. So, so hype guy, early career, really promising guy, late stage career, future Hall of Famer, and Hall of Famer. And then what I did was I said, okay, what, what can I buy, or what is a recent sale, rather, a recent sale of a PSA 9? And with uh, football, I, I stuck, football and baseball, or football and basketball, I stuck to Prism. Uh, Prism Silver, PSA 9, rookie. Um, with guys that predate the Prism era, I tried to look at Topps Chrome, um, if that was available. And then Hall of Famer, just, you know, rookie card if if it predates all of that and and some of it did okay so anyway I'll break I'll break this down so I started with football and one of the guys that's getting a ton of hype and I'm in on him too is DK Metcalf you can get a DK Met you last week there was a the one of the most recent sales DK Metcalf PSA 9 silver prism $44 okay so there's your hype guy who's somebody and I actually used a couple of examples here uh, who's somebody that's early stages of a career but could be on a Hall of Fame trajectory? Michael Thomas, PSA 9 rookie, $60. I also looked at Amari Cooper, 
PSA 9 rookie, Amari Cooper, $20. So DK Metcalf, 44 a guy like Amari Cooper who's doing it and has been doing it and can, and will most likely continue to do it on a fairly high-profile high team in Dallas, 20 bucks. End of his career, Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, Larry Fitzgerald, $114. Hall of Famer, all-time great, and I tried to stick to the same position. Randy Moss, $200. That all seems fairly reasonable, right? DK, 44, Michael Thomas, 60, Larry Fitzgerald, 114, Randy Moss, 200. I think that Amari Cooper, though, and the reason that I did, that I did a couple there is because I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a huge Michael Thomas fan. I think he's a great wide receiver. I, 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 I'm not a huge fan. I'm also not a huge Amari Cooper fan, so I just I kind of flipped a coin between the two. Um, but... I think there's an opportunity with a guy like Amari Cooper. Um, you can get his uh, a slabbed rookie for twenty bucks, and I think Amari Cooper. I, I think Amari Cooper is a guy that I look at and watch, and I say if he stays healthy, he could put up some really great career numbers as as he progresses, and could be a Hall of Fame caliber player when he retires. So I think there's some opportunity with a guy like Amari Cooper. And that's part of what I was doing, was trying to look to see if there was opportunity. Basketball was fascinating. So basketball, I, I, I started with R.J. Barrett. Because R.J. Barrett is a guy who, I'll be frank, I don't know that his prices make sense to me. Um, I, 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 I've, not, I've never understood the R.J. Barrett love. So I started with R.J. Barrett. And by the way, I did PSA 9 just because I get sick of listening to shows and hearing the phrase PSA 10 over and over and over again. And I, I, I'm not, you guys know my position on, on graded cards over raw cards anyway because I like raw cards, um, especially for my PC. Uh, but also, um, I, I try to live by the adage when I am buying slabs, if it's a 9, it's fine make your own decisions. That's me personally. But anyway, but I did, I did PSA nine because I just wanted to be consistent across the board. Okay. Basketball, RJ Barrett, 140. Then I looked at, okay, he's a shooting guard, small forward. Who's somebody else that's in that category that sort of in that same playing style. And and this was a little bit tougher, uh, but I went Donovan Mitchell. And Donovan Mitchell was maybe a bad example because he had just come off the hype of that seven-game series with Denver. But Donovan Mitchell, PSA 9, $400. Okay, then late stage of a certain Hall of Fame career, Carmelo Anthony, um, the most recent sale of a PSA 9, Topps Chrome, $300. Uh, That was last week. And then I said, okay, who's a small forward, you know, scorer, that's in the Hall of Fame. Grant Hill, one of my all-time favorite players, 30 bucks. RJ Barrett, 140. Donovan Mitchell, 400. Carmelo Anthony, 300. Grant Hill, $30. Grant Hill is in the Hall of Fame, and you can get a PSA 9 Grant Hill rookie for 30 bucks. Then I moved to baseball, and this one was this one was tough um, for a couple of reasons. Okay, so I, I started with Vlad Jr. 
Vlad Jr. is a guy that, again, I I think he's a good baseball player. I I don't know that the hype is is founded. Um, I think it, Vlad Jr. is not a guy that I'm sold on. Okay, I'm just leave it at that. I'm not going to go a deep dive into why I don't think Vlad Jr. is is sustainable. But uh, okay, PSA nine thirty five bucks. So I I stuck to corner infielders on this one. Matt Chapman, the Oakland A's, who I think has the potential to be in the George Brett, Mike Schmidt. Uh, I was I was looking at either Matt Chapman or Nolan Arenado. I think both of those guys are potential future Hall of Famers. So that's my early stage on the come up guy is Matt Chapman, PSA 9, rookie, $25. Then I moved across the diamond for my late stage Hall of Fame career guy, and I chose Albert Pujols. I was down between Albert Pujols and, and Miguel Cabrera. Albert Pujols, $371. The Hall of Fame part was hard because I I started with Chipper Jones, but that 1991 top set was like prime junk wax era. There's a blue million of them out there. The There's just way too many, and like... You can you can get a chip a PSA nine Chipper Jones rookie for less than a tank of gas. So I didn't know that that was a fair. So I I went a little earlier in in I went a few years back, few few years further back, and I looked at Wade Boggs, Wade Boggs PSA nine the the eighty three tops Wade Boggs PSA nine one hundred and one dollars. So Vlad Junior thirty five, Matt Chapman twenty five, Albert Pujols three seventy one. Wade Boggs, 101. I'm going out and I'm buying Matt Chapman cards because I think Matt Chapman is going to be, I think he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. And if he ever leaves Oakland, and just like with Nolan Arenado, who I'm also heavily invested in, if Nolan Arenado ever leaves Colorado and goes to a big market team or goes to, like, not that he left a big market team, but Mookie Betts going from Boston to LA. Like, if if Nolan Arenado or Matt Chapman ever play in L.A., New York, Boston, I think they are, their prices are going to skyrocket. So I've identified a little opportunity, I think, with Matt Chapman. You should not be able to buy Matt Chapman rookies cheaper than Vlad Jr., in my opinion. So I'm going to go out and buy Matt Chapman. So I just, I did this because I wanted to ask myself and I wanted to have a conversation with you guys about where are we putting our money? When we're, when we're spending big money on unproven prospects, are we being smart with our investments? And I'm not saying yes, I'm not saying no. I love prospecting and I love guessing and getting it right, but I just don't know if that's really where I want to go with my collecting in the future. And I think next week's episode is going to be a, a, a further discussion of what I'm doing personally with my collecting and investing in the future. Because part of this whole podcast thing for me is documenting my journey, but also it's forcing me to be to think critically about my collecting and where I'm going in the hobby. And it's fun for me. And it's fun to have this conversation with you guys. And I really, really appreciate everyone that's listening and, and providing feedback and, and having the conversation with me. So maybe do that exercise for yourself. Like identify some guys that you think are hype guys, guys that are potential stars, guys that are Hall of Famers or potential Hall of Famers, and just look at like 
where am I putting my money? What am I putting my money into? Am I putting it into proven commodities or am I speculating? And that's really what it comes down to, right? Are we? Uh, how much are we speculating? And it's okay to speculate. It's fun to speculate. And there's money to be made in speculating. But I think that there's also some wise investing that we can all do in guys with a proven track record or guys that are already in the Hall of Fame. My two cents. Um, and a lot. And I, I've also, like I said, been thinking a lot about some things that Chris on how Chris from House of Jordan said on on stacking slabs last week. And and I think I I want to digest that a little bit more. Um, but, uh, I can tell you that, you know, Chris is solely focused on collecting one or two guys, Luca and Michael Jordan. Like that's his, that's his PC. I don't know that that's fun for me. I, 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 I love, I, I have a love of sports that drives me to want to collect a lot of different guys and for a lot of different reasons, but probably next week's episode, I'll, I'll break that out a little bit more. Um, but this week I wanted to talk about where are we putting our money? Where am I putting my money? Where are you putting your money? And is it wise? Should we diversify a little bit and spend a little less in speculating and a little bit more in investing in guys with a track record that can provide long-term return on investment? Those are my thoughts. And that's this week's show. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being along for the ride. More to come next week. Check me out on Instagram at WV Cardboard. Follow the show uh, on all of your uh, whatever podcasting platform you choose. And uh, if you would be so kind, uh, subscribe, rate, and review uh, the show. I would greatly appreciate it. We're growing an audience and it's fun. Uh, So have a great week, everybody. We'll be back with more Mountain State Cardboard uh, next week. I love you guys, and I'll talk to you then. Connect with Mountain State Cardboard on Instagram at WV Cardboard. Our theme music is performed and produced by John Ingram. Visit our show page on Anchor, anchor.fm slash WV Cardboard. This podcast is a member of the 3BG Podcasting Network, a production of 3BG Media. All rights reserved.